Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Journo, SMH, Age, San Fran Chronicle, Washington Times, Cape Argus over the years, now Melbourne-based freelancer. Co-author, say it out loud, Journey of a Real Cowboy. That's me. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Neil McMahon. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, mate, it's, it's wonderful to be speaking with you. And, and can I start by asking, yes, you can. in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? How do I introduce myself? You know, I um, just by my name, really. I don't. You mean mm. do I go and say I'm, I'm Neil McMahon? This no, I don't. I don't often do that unless it was unless I was working. I wouldn't do that. Um, yes. So yeah, no, just Neil. But if I'm if I'm saying what I do for a living, it sort of varies a bit from uh, journo to writer to. Um, I mean, I've been a sub editor at times. So yeah, it, it's varied over the years, but. Usually try to avoid it um, if I can. <laughs> I'm sure other journos have told you, and I've heard a couple tell you. Sometimes mm. you just don't want the conversation um, to, uh, you know, that that opens up once you say what you do for a living. So there are times you just don't want to go there. Um, but um, yeah, that said, I, you know, um, it can spark some incredibly interesting conversations when you say that, and also some abuse, as you would understand, yes. <laughs> as humans of Twitter understand. Yes. What takes up most of your paid time at the moment? Um, what takes up most of my paid time? Oh, look, it varies a lot. Um, and just having come off the campaign, it sort of that was a kind of a weird period. Of course, um, there was some unusual, you know, bits and pieces going on. But mm. um, yeah, look, I just I um, I write mainly for Fairfax, um, as you'd know, uh, for the Age and the SMH yes. and the associated websites, um, who I used to work full time for before I went freelance. So. Um, and I, yeah, I do, uh, look, I'm basically a freelancer, you work, if someone asks you to do something, you say yes, unless you're, you know, um, uh, on your deathbed, really. Um, <laughs> I'm a great believer in saying yes to everything and then working out how I'll do it later. So, so it's, uh, if someone asks me to do something, I'll say yes, and then I'll think, you know, shit, what have I done? But I'll, I'll work out a way to do it um, after I've said yes. So it's a good way to go. Time management is someone else's problem. Completely. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, journos are not good. Time management and budget management, uh, not something you want to speak to journos, especially freelance ones about. But, um, yeah. Mm. But, it, well, look, it works well. It's fun. It's, it's certainly um, never dull. It's, um, it's sometimes incredibly stressful, uh, of course. But, um, yeah. Uh, with um, all the cuts and budget cuts and, you know, you never quite know when um, mm. the phone is going to stop ringing. But... Um, Fortunately, it still does. I've, um, I think I've been around so long now that it just, um, yeah, I'm, I've become a bit of part of the furniture in a way. So. Yeah, you're on a few speed dials. That helps. Oh, that's right. And I've worked. I've worked in most offices. I worked in the Queensland News, News Limited office at one point for a couple of years. I've worked in the Sydney News Limited office. I've worked in the Sydney Fairfax office, the Melbourne Fairfax office, the yeah. Melbourne HWT office. Um, so, pretty much, I've um, I've come across um, everyone's you know path at some point over the last however many horrifying years it is thirty one I think <laughs> since I started. So. We are going through a really weird time 
in particularly print journalism in that there's, you know, digital has been almost parallel for, you know, for the last few years. And and there's the continuing debate and argument over whether print will die or how print will die or (laughs) when print will die uh, and those kinds of things. But you're right. You touched on it before that the biggest implication we're seeing at the moment is just redundancies and shrinking workforces, isn't it? Well, it's weird, redundancies, and also, I mean, when I started um, freelancing, which was 08, mid-08, I think it was, having been Mm. at the Herald for the previous, the SMH, I mean, for the previous sort of eight years, I think, prior to that, um, and then, you know, going back, you know, I'd been at newspapers all my working life since I was 17, but um, freelancers, you know, the kind of jobs that I do as a freelancer now would never, ever have been done by freelancers, because you just... That wasn't the way it worked. You know, you had staff who did things, um, and now so much has to be outsourced to um, to people. And it's been a complete transformation in the last since '08 when I yeah, went freelance. It's been incredible the transformation in what they actually are. Uh, you know, putting out to freelancers to do. Um, I mean, in my case, it's slightly different because I, I was worked there for so long. Um, and worked with so many of the people that it was kind of a, a fairly smooth transition in the sense that they, they know me and they, it was kind of like I was still, you know, still on staff even though I wasn't, so yeah. to speak. But um, it's a, certainly a strange world. I mean, I mean, none of us can believe that how, how sort of quickly and, and dramatically it's happened and you, you can't sort of, you know, really predict what's going to happen next. As Malcolm Turnbull is fond of pointing out, you know, the iPhone didn't exist in... <laughs> Um, Twitter didn't really exist, I don't think, when Barack Obama was elected in 08, I don't mm. think. It might have just been born. But, the, you know, these uh, transformative, um, uh, disruptive things that come along and you just can't, you know, who would ever imagine 10 years ago that we would our world would be ruled by apps, for example? It wasn't a word, probably. So anyway, yeah. How long before we can appify a prime minister? Well, look, after the last election campaign, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon, Neil? Is he going to make Christmas? Like, is Malcolm Turnbull still going to oh, be Look, I, I'm, I'm, I said on election night that I thought that um, disastrous uh, speech that he made when he turned up at the, the mm. Liberal Party function at the hotel at 12.15 or something <laughs> terrible after his... Oh, he chased through the streets on a moment. I mean, it was just the most appalling um, uh, set of circumstances for... A PM to have been put into, and I, when he made that speech, I said, I, I think I tweeted or I wrote, but um, that you know, I think we've just seen the, you know, the end of Malcolm Turnbull in one way or another because it was just so terrible. But um, look, who knows? I, I trying to yeah. fathom either where um, Turnbull is coming from anymore or um, what's going on inside the party. It's it's really hard. Um, but, I mean, you know, may, may you live in interesting times. I think we've had enough of them, really. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just keep a Prime Minister for a term, just people, for, please? Just, just, yeah, just for a little while, yeah. Um, and one who doesn't disappoint us enormously, that would be good oh, to, you know, to have a... Um, Amen. Wouldn't it? It would just be lovely to not uh, have to look at them and think, oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that with Malcolm, I, and I wrote that, I did write that in uh, for the Fairfax um, on election night that, piece was published the next day that you know the nation kind of looking at, at, at Malcolm and thinking we're not really sure who you are uh, frankly mm. um, and he did a very good job that night of uh, making everyone even more more unsure of who he might be so who knows he's, he's obviously a very clever man and hopefully um, uh, he can turn things around but we'll, we'll see 
I, I was surprised, and maybe it's just my lack of knowledge when it comes to, uh, you know, how the Prime Minister handles his election night process. I thought that certainly, well, from my recollection when Howard was in and those sorts of things, that, you know, the the Prime Minister of the day or the person that's trying to, you know, the, their local seat that is the opposition leader, they always seem to have a fairly large party at a hotel and yep. they're ensconced in a suite upstairs. Like, there's no get in the car and drive to the hotel. Well, this was, and this was, it was such typical uh, Malcolm, wasn't it, that he was at his, uh, I mean, fair enough, he lives in Point Piper, but... I mean, it was not the place to be. There was, there, was, there, was, there was a great story. I think Pamela Williams in the Oz the other day wrote that one of her... Um, she's done several great pieces on sort of, you know, behind the scenes of what was going on. But I, I think it was her piece that said, um, you know, people... There, there were people who actually didn't know where he was, whether he was in the hotel. I mean, people were assuming he was in a suite upstairs. And if you watch that coverage, which is what I, I wrote about on the night, was uh, the this sense that nobody really quite knew where he was or what he was going to do. Whether Was he going to appear? And if he did, what would he say? And mm. it was just, it was the most dreadful thing. And then Ellen Jones delivering the the, the infamous uh, sort of siege of Point Piper, straight down the barrel. Yeah, time to get a wriggle on, was it? Or whatever it was, yeah. It was just terrible. Appealing to Malcolm through the television camera, saying, Malcolm, if you're watching, please come. <laughs> it was just <laughs> extraordinary that it was allowed to happen. But anyway, it's... Um, you know, it, I've, I think I've seen almost every election night since. I remember going back certainly to Malcolm Fraser's wobbly bottom lip in 1983 um, when he lost hmm. to Bob Hawke. Yes. I, and I missed a couple in the 90s when I was working overseas. But um, it was it was seriously weird what went down. I think even the 2010 with Gillard and um, and Abbott when the um, you know there was no result had no did not have the, that sense of. Um, of, of chaos about it, I didn't think. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree. I, I'm, look, at, at best, uh, a year two student of Australian politics. I enjoy it. I don't understand a lot of it. Happy to be educated about more of it. Uh, but it was, I think we've just, we've come off the back of a, an insanely long election campaign for Australia by Australian standards. Sure, yes, yeah, and, yeah, it seemed to go forever, didn't it? It just seemed to go, oh, you know. And then, we, and then, for God's still. sake, they gave us another bloody week of it, and waiting for, waiting for <laughs> us to count the paper votes. I mean, but yes, no, it, it was a long one. It did give the head of the Australian Electoral Commission a chance to get his face on telly and uh, set a few journalists straight as to why it was taking so long, because there was some pretty outrageous claims, particularly from your breakfast TV types, as, oh, why don't we have an answer yet? Yeah. Uh, and I think I remember, yeah, I think yeah, it might yeah. have been a conversation with Carl or Koshi, someone, and they were, you know, fairly ochre and boorish in their approach, you know, why don't we have an answer yet? We all voted on Saturday, how can we don't get an answer? And he politely had to explain that there are people all over the world <laughs> that voted, and there's postal votes still coming in, so we have to be fair and get all those things together. Exactly right, and they have to be it. Everything's got to be counted. My sister actually this year for the first time um, went and worked at a polling booth um, mm. and did scrutineering. She said it was a fascinating and very, very long night. I mean, they were, you know, they pay the AEC oh. pays people for, uh, volunteer, not volunteers. They pay them uh, for four hundred bucks or something to go for the day, but the day is as long as the day turns out to be, which in this case was a a bloody long one. Um, you know, and you, you stay there till the end sort of thing. Um, I, I can tell you from first-hand experience, Neil, I was at the polling booth at 7am because I was one of the electoral officers, one of the people to handed out the, you know, your voting forms and those sorts oh, of things, mark your name off. I didn't leave. We didn't, like, leave our booth 
until midnight and the officer in charge and the second in charge were still there double-checking one of the counts. That, yeah, well, my sister said much the same thing. I think she was there from 7 until... Uh, I think it was 1 or something in the morning, I think. Um, ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Um, but, um, look, what do you think about electronic voting? I mean, I, I know there are obviously concerns with it, but it, um, you do wonder... Um, how long we can go on with the pencil and paper business. <laughs> but then we could end up with the old, the old hanging chads that um, brought the US undone back oh, in 2000. I don't even want to contemplate it. We don't even, oh. want, to, we don't even want to think about it, do we? No. Oh, and look, I have to say, after a long day of sitting on my butt, handing out forms, at least I get the joy of unwrapping, unfurling those huge long Senate papers <laughs> and seeing how creative some members of the public have been oh, in I'm their sure responses. There were some fascinating things, yeah, yeah. Does anyone steal them for tablecloths these days? I mean, they could really, you know, be picnic blankets almost. They're so big. But... We had somebody walk out with one, uh, like they just did refuse to hand it back. He said, right? I've done my job. I'm, oh, you know, you can't have the paperback. And went, but we need it to count. I said, well, I'm taking it. See ya. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Steve, can I just explain that this is called, I know it's called the humans of Twitter. If you hear uh, or your audience hears um, noises in the background, it might become dogs of Twitter. My, my beloved pooch scout is uh, loitering and uh, he is inclined to suddenly make noises that I have to explain to people when I'm doing interviews. <laughs> You're in good company. I once had to explain to Michael Parkinson on the phone, in fact, what the, <laughs> so he didn't think that the, um, the squelching and scratching <laughs> in the background while I did a phoner with him was mean. <laughs> but, uh, so, but the fleas were you. No, that's exactly right. Yes. But so if you, if you hear a, a bark or a scratch or a squelch or a, anything that sounds like that, it's, it's not me. It's, um, it's, it's Scout. Well, welcome, Scout, to the podcast as well. Yes, he would be honoured to be here and think it was only appropriate that he was uh, included. (laughs) Neil, is journalism what you in Grade 11 wanted to do? Absolutely. It it literally was the only thing I wanted to do and probably the only thing I could do. Um, I had literally had... (laughs) Was not, I had no other skills. I still don't. I I, I was so I can punch you. I don't know where the apostrophes go. Um... But no, literally, it was all I ever wanted to do, and I don't know what would have happened if I didn't. But I was lucky, and back yeah. then in the in the eighties, I I cottoned a cadetship at the HWT with the uh, Sun News Pictorial, which is now the Herald Sun, um, yep. uh, as a seventeen-year-old, which would not ha- does not happen these days. You um, generally have to be a, a graduate of some sort or have a, a, some experience. But um, back then, they they. Uh, Seems crazy to think about it, but hired 17. I was uh, 17 and a half. I couldn't vote and I couldn't drive or drink legally, but um, amazing. Um, and uh, so it, uh, it's. Um, I can't. I also can't believe I'm still doing the job, frankly, given what's happened. But anyway, 31 or 30. I think it's 32 years on Australia Day. It will be Gosh. since I walked in the door at the HWT. Um, back then, when the Sun was selling. About six hundred thousand copies a day. Look at the figures. Believe it or not, six hundred thousand wow. copies a day. Um, the Herald in the afternoon was selling probably four five hundred thousand, I think. Um, and then we had the Age selling, you know, four hundred. So you look at, you know, in a city the size of what Melbourne was back then, um, people buying mm. maybe one, I don't know, one and a half million newspapers a day. Astonishing to think. Yeah. Um, um, you know where we stand, uh, stand now. Where we're debating whether newspapers will actually even exist. You know, um, in print. But so it was the glory days, really, in a lot of ways. Um, 
Um, and they continued for a long time. It's really only the last 10 years that the, the, the print model has completely uh, 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 you know, proven a bit dysfun- dysfunctional in the digital era. There are, there are probably very few industries that I think people of our age can, can look at and say, in our lifetime, we've seen this go through two or three iterations of significant change. Extraordinary to, yeah, I mean, and sort of, the, as I said earlier, the, the speed of it and the um, and the unpredictability of, of what happened, as I said, with the apps mm. and, the, you know, the fact that the iPhone and the iPad and so on changed our world and, um, you know, it's... Um, I mean, I'm sitting here surrounded, as I'm talking to you now, I'm sitting here surrounded, I've got an iPad, I've got an f- iPhone, I've got a, a MacBook, I've got my television screen and I've got another computer. Um, and I can literally access almost anything in the world that I wanted to watch or read right now from my hands for nothing it's um uh it's extraordinary really to think about it um yeah given it just didn't it didn't exist uh you know even as i say 10 years ago to this degree it's crazy isn't it it is and i started back in when i believe it or not started um i can claim to have been part of the typewriter era because it, uh, nice it, well <laughs> they did have computers but at police rounds where i was i spent about three years as a cadet when i was 17 18 mm. 19 police rounds in melbourne um was run out of uh, a separate office down at the near police headquarters in melbourne traditionally all, sure. all the newspapers had offices down near uh, police hq and they had not been able to hook up this remote office uh, to the computer system, so we actually banged away on typewriters. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I've seen <laughs> I've seen it change a lot. And copy takers and and three two way radios in the car to communicate. There were no you know no phones or filing. You copy down a public you know trying to find a public phone on the side of the road in the middle of the night to to read your copy to a copy taker. Um, yes. Yeah, and we yeah, we had a. a, a um, a uh, two-way radio in the police rounds car that we would could talk to the uh, the news desk on, and it would literally yep. be, you know, I'm here at this uh, wherever I am. Over, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you would scribble your notes on a notepad because you had no computers or anything to to write them on and uh, read them out to someone. So, yeah. those were the days. And now. And now there's not even a sub-editor in sight. You're writing into a, an online portal, pressing publish, Precisely. and it goes you know, digitally live instantly and may turn up in tomorrow or the day after's paper. Yeah, and, uh, you know, of course, it's, um, you know, uh, so much is not uh, uh, turning up in the paper anymore because of um, mm. not only deadline pressures but also space pressures and, and, and all the rest of it. So, it, I mean, it really has become a digital... Well, I mean, I remember I'm going back only 10 years being at the Sydney Morning Herald and uh, there was a, 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 an edition that sold... It was, the, uh, they said, the biggest selling edition of the Sydney Morning Herald ever. I can't remember what the figure was, but anyway, that was 2006. Um, so in 10 years... And, uh, yeah, of course, the internet had been around for a long time and it just it, we had not reached that critical mass where it just absolutely cannibalised um, the print product. So... Um, yeah, strange times. Exciting in some ways, but um, also obviously been very distressing for a lot of people and very scary and still is, I think. For, for yeah. yeah. What challenges you, Neil? What challenges me? Um, boy, that's a good question. What challenges me? 
not apostrophes, I'm confident on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm good on the punch, as I say, the punctuation. Um, you mean work-wise or in, just in any sense of the, of, of the word? Yes. Any sense of the word, OK. Um, look, I think... Um, well, I mean, going to, to the professional uh, side of things... The last ten years has been, you know, it's been difficult for everyone. But also, you're trying to imagine how you're going to, if you want to stay in the business, how you're going to do it, and what are you going to do, and how do you reinvent yourself? Which I've, I've, I've done a lot of training in the last year. I've done video training and, uh, you know, mm. photography training, all this sort of stuff to sort of add, um, uh, you know, some extra strings to the bow um, because you have to. I mean, you have to really be able to um, answer. Yes, not just to doing one thing. You have to answer yes to um, doing a lot of things. Um, and it happened to me for the first time, actually, this year. It was the weekend Prince died, I think it was. I had a, uh, I had video, photos and words all with my byline on them, which if you had, wow. told, if you had told me that even five years ago, that that would be something that would happen, that it would save words, photos and video by Neil, I would have thought you were mad. Um not just because you wouldn't have thought it was... It you was just became a media magnet. <laughs> but it wasn't not just because you wouldn't have thought it would go this far, but also because I, I think I would have said to you five or ten years ago, I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> 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 um, we used to, you know, look down at the internet, at the websites as, uh, you know, poor second cousins, um, as mm. a second priority uh, for a very long time. Um and uh, yeah, as I say, it's all changed. But yeah, that, I think it was—it was, it was it definitely was the weekend Prince died that happened because I went to the this tribute in Melbourne and, and shot some video and I did some some photos and whatever. And um, so that was a um, a sign of the times, really. That that, uh, um, that yeah, you would get uh, uh, journo's getting three credits on on uh, one story. Yeah. Wow. And I must say, the photos and video you... weren't very good. I'm, I'm glad that they were. <laughs> I, I, I I'm sure they were fine, Neil. I didn't have any great skill, but anyway, nonetheless, it happened. And it, and it, look, it worked for its, its purposes at the, at the time. Can you think of a particular story that you filed or been involved in writing that stands out as, as one of the most significant for you? Oh, boy. Um, how long have you got? <laughs> Do you know, it's funny the thing... <laughs> There's a, um, a story that still comes to my mind, and this is uh, kind of interesting in that it has a sort of slight twist in, to the tale from, and it goes back to 1987. I was, uh, I was 19 or 18 or something. I was a, a, a very uh, new police rounds cadet, and I started work at 7 o'clock on the dog shift on a Sunday morning. There was a 7 a.m. shift. It was a hideous mm -hmm. uh, thing for a 19-year-old to be doing, but anyway. I, <laughs> and I went into work, and a, and a, a kid, a, an autistic uh, boy um, had uh, disappeared on a bushwalk at Wilson's Promontory down here in Victoria um, and so anyway cut a long story short I jumped in the car went down to Wilson's Prom for this search that was underway for this boy who'd wandered off from his family um, and that story went on for or a, a full week it was a, an amazing search it was one of those things that captured the imagination of the public because this little boy Paddy, Paddy uh, Hildebrand his name was had literally just wandered off and and um, into this you know incredibly dense and dark bush, um, and his mother and uh, siblings never saw him again, um, and he was never found. It was a, it was an incredibly sad 
difficult story. I've never, for, never ever forgotten spending that week there, watching that unfold and watching. Um, now you may re- recognise that name, and um, he has written about this. But uh, um, one of Paddy Hildebrand's brothers was is Joe um, Hildebrand, who uh, as in the Joe Hildebrand, the, the Joe Hildebrand, who was re- I think he wrote about this in his book um, last year or the year before. But anyway, so it was a, and I don't actually know Joe personally, but um, except the fact that I met him when he was a, a, a tyke at Wilson's Promontory, and his his brother had gone. Um, Missing in these awful circumstances. That's and it's weird. Thirty years later, that story just sticks in my mind for for a whole lot of reasons. It was. Um, you know, I can understand. Yeah, and it was because I was so young. It was kind of, uh, it, it, you know, it was quite a big, you know, thing for me to be, you know, making a splash with over a week. It was on the front page for you know four or five days in a row. It was. Uh, um, so that's uh, that's one. But um, going over these, I, I lived in South. I worked in South Africa for. Uh, most of the 90s. Um, I went over there after mm-hmm. Mandela came out of prison um, and was there. Oh, wow, what a time to be in South yeah. Africa. So I was there for the lead up to you know all the negotiations for a new constitution and post-apartheid South Africa and then for the first five years of his presidency well actually that, that was his presidency five years until 99. Um, that remains beyond belief for, as an experience was just you know, yeah. I, I can't compare it to uh, anything I don't think I ever will be able to compare that to um, to anything to seeing what happened and then seeing Mandela inaugurated and uh, you know um, just extraordinary extraordinary uh, times um, and it was you know one of the great stories of the century really that uh, mm. and it ha- and it happened you know it, it came to its conclusion right at the end and yeah so that, that was an amazing moment um, and I, you know, I was in Thailand for the um, tsunami, the um, Boxing Day tsunami. I was there for a month, tripping over dead bodies and and you know what, uh, what you know, literally thousands of bodies and uh, bodies being thrown into burning pits because they didn't have any other way to dispose of them. And you know, it, 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 that was um, will forever stay in my head. I think. Um, and Chappelle Corby. Um, was momentous, so I covered that all the way through. Uh, Bali Nine, seeing those two guys um, being sentenced to death, um, was one of the strangest things I've ever standing in a courtroom and actually watching a death sentence be delivered as a very odd thing to watch because it is so uh, bureaucratic to actually just the way they do it. It's all just sits in the law, it's paperwork, it's, you know, um, yeah. it is really one of the weirdest experiences to. Um, to be in a courtroom when you're so used to a courtroom being full of fairly mundane and prosaic kind of uh, <laughs> process and then you you realize that these judges are sitting there saying you're going to die let me fill out the form that was that was a really uh, um, weird moment um, so look there's been um, there's been a bunch um, over the years um, yeah that's a hell of a list mate <laughs> mate I could go on <laughs> But it, 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 I was thinking when I was uh, thinking about doing this chat with you about journalism, and you know, when you're lucky enough to be in it for a long time, and, and you have a um, you have some breaks, and you manage to go some places, and that it's almost like you—it's it, a cliche to say you have this front row seated history. It has been said a million times that you know we, we are very privileged with some of the things that we get to see and the people you get to meet. But you sort of look and you there's almost like these bizarre but incredibly memorable cameos, sort of punctuated throughout your career where you know you think like Nelson Mandela 
for example, or, or you know, Hillary Clinton, or um, you know, so many other things, and, and you know, Australian prime ministers, and uh, you know, I remember doorstopping Goff once when I was, I think I was twenty, having to doorstop yeah. Goff Whitlam, which was <laughs> Goff didn't do. Uh, door stops. <laughs> I was sent out to do it. Uh, door stop golf. I door stopped. Uh, I remember being sent to. Um, it was when um, Hawke was prime minister and Howard and Peacock, Andrew Peacock, were swapping the. You know, the, there was the, that yep. leadership tension that went on for years. And uh, Peacock must have been. It must have been when he was in before the mobile phone disaster with Jeff Kennett. I think in '86 or whatever it was. Mm. And the chief of staff said to me, I was a second year cadet, I think, said, well, we've just got word that John Howard is at Malcolm Fraser's office in Collins Street and they're having a meeting. Can you go rush down there? Gosh. See what's going on? So I go down and I, get, I go up to the floor where Fraser's uh, post-prime ministerial office was and um, before the secretary or had a chance to sort of even establish who I was, the door opened and out walked Malcolm and John. Um, and I'm obviously I was 18 or 19, and I was just shitting myself. I'm looking at what's the hell am I doing here? And I'm almost as tall. I think Malcolm Fraser might be a tiny bit taller than me, but I'm six foot five. So there was me and Malcolm and John Howard, considerably shorter, and they're looking at me like, "What the hell are you doing?" And we ended up in the lift together. And <laughs> I was in a lift with Malcolm Fraser and myself and John Howard in the middle. Um, and me trying to mumble these questions uh, that really had no relevance to anything. It was like they just had a meeting and they didn't want to talk about it. So. But, yeah, you know, little moments like that, you think, you know, strange, but um, that sticks in my head. Um, and then years later, of course, I, Malcolm Fraser was on Twitter and I uh, tweeted him once about um, his attendance at the ABBA concert in 1977. Which, <laughs> and he, to my amazement, he replied... And remembered the night that he went to see Abba, and I thought, well, you know, your life was... Um, that's awesome. That's, yeah. I would never have thought when I was a, a little kid growing up with um, Malcolm Fraser in the lodge that um, I would be tweeting him about Abba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, so, yeah, there's been some times, um, yeah. But as I say, those cameos of people sort of, you know, passing through your professional life are, are really interesting, Um I think, and so you're a, you're a Queenslander, aren't you? By are you by birth or yes, sir. You, yeah, oh, my no, by adoption. But my uh, I'm a half Queenslander because my mother was a Queenslander, mm. and my mum's uncle was premier of Queensland a, a very long time ago in the 1950s. Um, and um, when I ended up going up to work there uh, for a couple of years, which was after Sir Joe, you will well remember Sir Joe, of course. Um, yes. Where after Sir Joe had uh, had been forced from office, um, I would talk to him on the phone quite often for interviews because he loved talking to the Melbourne press because he knew that we would always give him a great run because we thought he was mad, a mad Queenslander, and he loved rubbishing the Southerners. And so I'd call, you know, ring up Sir Joe and ask him for a comment, and he'd rant against uh, the Hanlon government and the Cinderella state <laughs> that it was under the Hanlon government. And I never ever told Rob Bugger that that was my great uncle <laughs> I never <laughs> I never told him um, but he um, yeah so some special moments along the way I reckon wow that's pretty amazing what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months 
Oh, goodness gracious me. Um, I have no idea, to be honest. I've actually got a couple of things. I'm, I'm looking at uh, sort of a web series, and uh, um, which I'm sort of, you know, going to write and film and everything myself, um, hopefully, if I ever get around to it. Um, mm-hmm. So, that, you know, I'm looking at doing things like that. Just, to, as I say, try, you've got to try to find other ways to, you know, to break out and try new things and do new things. And um, hopefully some of them will work. Some of them obviously won't. I think it's going to be... For all of us, one of those uh, you know hit and miss kind of um, times where you know we we throw a lot of shit at a wall and see what sticks, basically <laughs> in terms of yeah. in terms of what we do. But um, well, it's a, it's a rare media outlet, isn't it? Sorry, I was just going to say it's a rare media outlet that has somebody that is you know d- doing in that editorial position, directing traffic that uh, is ahead of the curve when it comes to what digital means. To, to journalism and publishing. Oh, completely, yeah. I mean, look, we're all, you know, groping around in the dark to a certain extent, and we have been for for uh, some years. And, and, you know, now the market sort of has fallen, uh, the, the um, value of, has fallen out the bottom of the the digital uh, online advertising space. There's just no... I mean, it's almost hard to see how the sums ever add up, um, how, mm. you know, how we're going to replace one thing with another. So, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, um Books will be written, and and uh, you know, people will be studying this period for you know, many, 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 many decades uh, to, to come. I would imagine. Um, if you wanted a full time job, I hear that they're they're looking to fill the the role of the head of Fox News. Now, <laughs> go back and work for Rupert. I haven't worked for Rupert in. Uh, I was there for about a year when he first bought the HWT in eighty seven, and then I left, and I haven't. Uh, I haven't been in. No, so. Um, wouldn't that be an amazing job? It's, uh, and he's taken it himself, oh. I believe, Rupert. He's, he's taking the reins for um, the time being. I'm sure he will for a period of time until I can find the right person to take on that poison chalice. Yeah, but what an extraordinary story to happen in the week of the um, the GOP oh, the Republican. That's right. It couldn't have happened the week before or after, could it? Quite it had to happen the week of. Given the, 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 you know, when you trace it all back, the involvement of uh, Fox in the, um, you know, 20 years, 25 years of... Of Clinton uh, um, hating and pursuits and <laughs> and everything else, and then for it to, for Ailes to uh, self implode, literally the day Donald Trump accepts the uh, nomination, is it's extraordinary. It, um, can't get enough of that story, that American uh, campaign, unbelievable. Oh, it, I'm lucky enough that the time of recording, I'm in. Uh, well, I've been in America. I'm now in Canada. Yeah. Uh, the Republican Congress has just finished. The Democratic one's about to start, uh, and it's been phenomenal to just hear and, and switch on. For example, between CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, uh, you know, all of those kinds of stuff—they're just wall to wall, you know, talking heads in the in the convention center, um, covering every every little piece of minutia. They do it in the, the the way they do it is quite extraordinary, you know, which I, I love. It's what I my um, sort of mm. lifelong. Oh, it's crack! It's so it's good, incredibly addictive, and it's the, my lifelong fascination with American politics is less about policy and detail because I'm not a detail person at all. <laughs> I love theatre of any mm. of any description, you know, and if it's political, theater, yeah. whatever it is, and that this is just the most extraordinary. Um, theatre we've ever seen, really. Um, oh, and part of the sideshow that ran... Sorry, part of the sideshow that ran this week was Colbert 
Uh, normally, all the night shows in America, for those that don't know, are pre-recorded in the afternoon yeah. to play late night that evening. He was going live after the, the you know the RNC finished all their speeches and their nighttime stuff. So some jokes were hastily being written and given to him, uh, you know, during ad breaks and things. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, and as you said, really unusual for American late night TV because it's it's uh, yes. Yeah. To have John Stewart pop John up Stewart, yes, sorry, was yeah. amazing. Amazing, indeed. And I saw, um, as well, Saturday Night Live uh, sent their weekend, what do they call that segment, the, the news weekend uh, weekend update? Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Tina Fey used yep. to put it now, um, two other guys. They sent them in to do special weekend updates live from the convention floor, which, uh, some of which was very funny. So interesting, again, how television is adjusting to, um, you know, um, it all used to be relatively sedate you know you would wait for time magazine to come out at the end of the week and find out what it all meant and now you've read 17 analysis pieces by tea time it's um... it, it's been really interesting to see james corden who follows colbert uh in the he's on the late late show yes. the night before donald trump's speech on the thursday the wednesday night episode of the late late show was carpool karaoke which is killing it for corden with the first lady, Michelle Obama. And what, that was just uh, uh, wonderful, wasn't it? I mean, it was... Uh... It wasn't an accident, that's for sure. No, no, definitely not an accident. Um, but but I thought beautifully handled. It was just so... Um, it was just, I'd, I'd, I would love to see her husband do that as well, I think. That, um, I, think oh, he, I think he could... We, we can but hope. We can Well, look, yeah. I thought there were nice bookends, though, because uh, Obama had done um, the Jerry Seinfeld comedians in cars with yes. I think he did that. And so Michelle doing carpool karaoke is a good um, a good thing. But who knows? They've got only got what four months to go. The Obamas, uh, well, six months to go really, seven months to go until they actually leave. But um, it's going to be an interesting uh, final uh, sort of round of farewells and and so on. Um, I think people are going to miss a lot about the Obamas, <laughs> regardless of politics. I think um, the way they've handled themselves has been so you know uh, extraordinary over the eight years. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah. Hey, Neil. Steve, yes. <laughs> it sounds portentous. <laughs> you can ask me something. Thank you so much. Oh, not quite. I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things you've said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. Enjoy it and good luck with uh, the rest of it. What number are you up to now? You are episode 143. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. That's great. Great idea and a great success story. So, no, thanks for having me. That's my pleasure, mate. Now, you are a person who does tweet from time to time. Do you have? <laughs> do you have other social accounts that you'd like people to know about? I have got a, excuse me, I've got a, uh, a Facebook page. Neil McMahon, journalist, I think, will find it for you if you type that in. There's um, a public uh, page that I don't update as often as I should. <laughs> um yeah, but that's that's the main one. So, in my Twitter account, which is just my name, Neil McMahon, so, at Neil McMahon. So, um, and if anyone Google's my name, I'm not the American uh, author of Western novels, <laughs> <laughs> which has happened to me before. But I didn't know you wrote books, <laughs> let alone Western books. No, that's not me. That's another one. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Neil McMahon is indeed human. <laughs> yeah.